Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Beer Ladies podcast. Um, I'm your host today, Tandy, and we have got Katie and Lisa and Christina today, and um, we're going to be talking about St. Bridget. Now, I'm going to learn along with, with the rest of you because I know very little about St. Bridget, not just because I'm not Irish, but because I just generally don't know anything about um, medieval Irish history and or Christian patron saints, like I know nothing about it. So we're going to learn from Christina and potentially from Lisa and and Katie. I'm sure you're going to be showing us a couple of things along the way. Um, okay, should should we just get get things going, guys? Say hi and tell us what you're drinking. Let's start with Lisa. Hello, everyone. I am in the holy words of Irish beer Twitter, lads. I'm back on the ambush, so I've got some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for people who are on other beer Twitter, this is this is just the thing we have here. John Coot, look him up, follow him. You'll see it a lot. Uh, but the reason I've gone for trouble is because they are based in Kildare. And we'll hear more about St. Bridget and her potential real and false associations with Kildare. Mm, absolutely. Katie, what have you got tonight? I also have a Kildare beer because... Uh, Irish school told me she was from Kildare, (laughs) (laughs) which may or may not be true. I am drinking a McGargles, Rosie's Pale Ale, which is brewed within five kilometers from my home. So, Oh, wow. Keeping it really local. Yeah, so that's that's Rye River. Um, Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's really nice. Awesome. Christina, what have you got today? Oh, right, fair. I... I don't have any Irish beer. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I've gone rogue. Um, I have a Northern Monk uh, Manchester Tart Sour. Oh, interesting. Um, Or Tart Stout. Sorry, not Tart Sour. Tart Stout, which um, really intrigued me. So I'm doing Tri-Annuary. And Mm. stouts are not my favorite. Sorry. Mm. I mean, I do like the stouts that I like, but typically, like, I'm really fussy with stouts. So I thought I'd try this. Um, mm. This is with sweet cherry, coconut, raspberry, and custard. Oh. So it's is very it intriguing. St- is, it, is it still a beer? <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. I just poured it. Um, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I like that. Ooh, oh, yeah? 
That's really nice. <laughs> I, you know, I've never, I've never had a beer from Northern Monk, and I hear that they're Ooh. interestingly experimental and probably, yeah. probably a bit of hit and miss. But they always do like really wacky stuff. So, it, it, you know, they did like, fun. yeah. They I did had like an ice cream beer from them before, and it was really good. Yeah, yeah they I did, did a Sunday dinner, didn't they? A Sunday oh, they did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how that would taste but it sounds interesting i remember seeing the cans uh did not go for that one but yeah, i've enjoyed a lot of their other stuff but, but you're right sometimes it can go a, a bit in a bit of a direction and not always successful but hey nice to see people trying new stuff yeah just, yeah. just to, to to update you what it tastes like it's not super sweet um which oh. i like mm. it's kind of like um with the custard and the the stout prop it's like a creamy like coffee like a latte you get like kind of that notes but it's you know it's on the bitter side as well but it's balanced with the coconut which really works well with the creaminess and then it's just a bit of the sweet cherry on top i actually really really like this (laughs) is there a coffee hint to it as well yeah 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 it's like a latte yeah it's like a latte oh nice that sounds very interesting. Oh, okay, so what I've what like I've that. got tonight, I've got a session IPA, also within the Rye River um, suite of brands, I guess. They're they're a big portfolio, and they're also from Kildare, so that that was why I chose um, Solus. It's a session IPA, and I've really enjoyed the beers that I've had from this range. Yeah. I guess mm-hmm. they've got this oatmeal pale ale, which is uh, really really good, and um, yeah, I really like them. Yeah, I haven't tried their oatmeal pale ale, but their Belgian wit in that range is lovely. Oh, mm. okay. mm. worth keeping an eye out. Mostly a Tesco, I think. All right. Well, before before we begin, um, let me just remind everybody at home that we are on all of your podcasting platforms, whether that is Stitcher or um, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, all of those. Um, we're also on YouTube, and we're also on all the social medias. So Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, just look for Beer Ladies Podcast and hit us up. We'll uh, we'll respond even, I promise. We're, we're nice people. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, Christina, do you want to tell us a little bit about St. Bridget? And I mean, who is she even? Right. So, so actually, so if you don't know, I'm writing a book about Irish beer history and St. Bridget actually makes up a portion of my first chapter. Um, by by design or by profession, I'm a medievalist. I'm an Irish medievalist. I'm specializing in Viking and Irish history. So this is really in my wheelhouse. <laughs> um, so it was really fun to write this chapter. So uh, I guess I can give you, yeah, an introduction into St. Bridget um, before I sort of talk about how she's associated with beer. Mm. So I guess I'm going to start with being a little bit of a depressing <laughs> um, to, some, to some degree is it's kind of a leap to think that she existed at all. Um, so the first source we have for St. Bridget is the life of St. Bridget, which was written by a monk in Kildare in the seventh century. And this is about a hundred years or more after she's supposed to have existed. So way after, if she was around, she even existed in the first place. Um it might have been written because there were there's sort of a competition between religious orders in Kildare and Armagh for power. So he might have written this in order to sort of lift up the position of Kildare among um, Irish monastic communities. Mm. So this is really interesting. Not that this actually matters with regard to um, her beer miracles and, and things associated with her with her and out an ale, I should say, not beer, um, because we're talking about non hopped um, 
a non-hopped beverage here. But I will explain why. The definition of ale in that time and why does it change now? So, so right. So ale is anything that's not hopped, um, because. Ireland isn't um, a natural environment for hops, so they didn't grow here. That isn't to say that, well, this is largely speculative, and I talk about this in my book, but there is some evidence that there there might be hops um, in some form of use in Ireland just because of its association with York, because the kings of Dublin were also the kings of York, and we do know that there were hops in York. So it's possible, but hops were also used medicinally, so this is just mm-hmm. largely speculation. But yeah, so we're talking about ale, which is non-hopped um, beer, and then once well, beer started sort of in the low countries. It was really, really popular also in Norway and, and other sorts of places. Um, there's actually a really good archaeological study about um, the prevalence of hops versus other bittering agents in, in ale and in medieval period. It's really fascinating, actually. I, sh- I should mm. tweet that and cite that. But yeah, so so we're talking about two different beverages. Um, though ale is probably encompassing a lot of different things because um, we don't know what they were using bittering agents. And if they were at all, there's some speculation that they perhaps weren't. Um, so that's really interesting. Or if there's all different types of ale, one of which isn't, does not have any bittering agents and one that does. So I can kind of talk a little bit more about that later if anyone's interested in hearing more about that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I, but I must, I have to say, oh, my Catholic Irish upbringing is like, <laughs> what do you mean she didn't exist? He was right. an amalgamation. <laughs> right. Like- so so actually so so actually the title of my chapter is a a goddess, a druid, and a nun walk into a brewery. <laughs> because there's this idea, well, I think St. Bridget really embodies um sort of this transition from um, pagan culture to, to Catholic or, or Catholic Christian um, because it's, you know, the amalgamation of all these different figures. So a goddess who becomes a, a saint, uh, a druid who becomes a nun. And there is, so there's speculation that Bridget actually is originated from, from a pagan goddess. So um, according to certain scholars like Rees, we have, um, the goddess Brig, which is the Celtic goddess of fire and light. And there's some place names, uh, evidence that suggests that there is this goddess named Brig. Um, there's also, or Bridget, actually. So um, in, in Scotland, there's a Roman era statue that's inscribed with uh, Die Nymphae Brigante. Brigantae. Oh, my Latin mm. pronunciation. <laughs> I, tell you, I can read it. <laughs> I can read it. But when you put me on the spot, oh, suddenly I forget how to pronounce everything. I'm, I'm sure we won't fire you just because you don't know how to pronounce a dead language. <laughs> I mean, I do know how to pronounce it. I just get nervous. <laughs> oh, we have that sort of pan, even though it's it's a sort of not super accurate thing, but we have this sort of pan Celtic thing where she pops up in sort of Scots Gaelic and... Uh, a little bit in Wales too, but it's uh, uh, but but yes, always that association with sort of fire and and light and this time of of year because we're kind of right in between. If I'm remembering correctly from my my folklore studies back in the day, we're right in between solstices or um, and so that's why we we've, we've got the the Celtic uh, holiday right here. So it just sort of uh, what's a good word for it? it? Sort of slides nicely into suddenly being a saint's day. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 so we also have like Cormac's glossary, which is a ninth century text, which makes mention of a pagan goddess um, called Bridget and her three sisters of the same name. So this is kind of where we get this idea of this tripartite goddess, um, 
who is represented by the, a learned woman, a woman of healing and a woman of Smith working. And so these mm. were all combined to be this triple goddess. However, some scholars don't believe that there was a there was a goddess at all. And in fact, that it was actually the other way around. The goddess was invented oh, after the saint. Um, and so that, who would the saint be based on then? The saint was based on maybe a nun that existed. Um, but but so, f- for example, there's a scholar, um, Lisa Biddle, who contended that the literati of Ireland, which is to say the the monks and, the, and those who were writing, um, mm-hmm. used pagan imagery to legitimize Bridget and speak to readers and listeners in Ireland. But there wasn't a goddess. And actually that this imagery was used to get them to understand on a, on a, on a way that they could based on like their experiences and their context. And not that there was any goddess at all. It was just a way to have this conversation with people who weren't christian yet and they I were mean, hoping that would be so I mean, um, I'd, posit, I'd posit to say that that's all of religious texts but you know, yeah you shoot me later <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so and that's the thing about these christian authors writing about um saints we know that they have a lots of bias here and these are purely propaganda texts um and we don't have any writings from Bridget herself. So we don't, only sources we have are over a hundred years after her death. So, you know. So when, when was she, when was she alive or supposedly alive? Um, so the sources, which are absolutely problematic, um, do list St. Bridget is likely being born in 451. 451. 451. Wow. And her death is recorded in the annals of Tigernach and the Chronicom Scotorum in 525. Um, though some speculate that she actually died in 523. But but um, the work that I was talking about before, and there's like two others that I can mention, was like 680. So we're talking way after mm. as she's gone. And there's we don't have a source in between. And that could very well be because the source is gone, right? So that's the other thing we have to be careful with. Just yeah. an absence of evidence is not an evidence of absence. So get together, yeah. everyone. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there very well could be other works, but we don't have them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It I doesn't mean that she didn't exist. Mm. Yeah. And word of mouth would have been like people wouldn't have been able, a lot of people wouldn't have been able to read and write back then. And so it was all like the Shanaki would have come into. Right. So we have lots of oral, stories. Yeah. oral traditions and things, but you know, we need to be really careful. Like there's a, yeah. that because these, these, they call them hagiographers, the people that write about saints, they already have an agenda here. Right. So they have a reason why they're writing these things. I mean, there's the story of um, St. Patrick who was, you know, around the same time as Bridget and they're talking about him coming to Dublin. And of course, Dublin isn't founded till way, way after St. <laughs> Patrick is dead. You know, he, hundreds of years. Time by the cathedral, you're saying it's a lie? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> way after. Um, yeah. Because I mean, of course we have the monastic communities that like Tala and Finglas, but those predate Dublin. Um, yeah. So those were around a long time ago. And, and there are monks from those two who had a, a little bit of an argument about uh, drinking beer, which I guess I could talk about a little bit later. <laughs> but uh, I thought for a second there, you were going to tell me St. Patrick was an amalgam as well. And he didn't exist. And I was like, oh no! <laughs> no, no, no I'm, I'm going to be really like put on my historian hat here right now and not my um, any other hat. And, yeah. and I mean, it's a, <laughs> with all these early saints, like the evidence really is scant. Yeah. So you, we do have to kind of be really careful. That said, with St. Bridget, I'm not really going to go into details with her other texts and stuff because I 
I'm happy to talk about that on Twitter or something else, but I don't really feel like that's what we need to focus on when our topic is about beer. Um, Mm. But it doesn't actually matter if she existed Mm. or not when we're talking about these stories of, of her life and about ale, because what it tells us is regardless of what was happening in her time period in the time period in which the author wrote the text, her association with ale and the way that he writes about her association with ale may indicate that this was something that was happening by nuns in his time period. Mm, okay. That's a good point. So, yeah, that, okay. so, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, when I sort of go into the stories about her mm. and ale. So mm. like, even if she didn't exist, it does tell us about perhaps the truth about living and working in monastic communities at the mm. time of writing, especially because the first text is by a monk in Kildare and he's talking about her at her monastery in Kildare. So, you know, he's probably a, while might, might not be reliable for other things, he might be a good source about what things were happening or what was within the scope of work for yeah. people in that monastic community and used his own experiences to write his story about Bridget. And before mm. we really move on to me telling you the stories of Bridget, I do want to make mention that Bridget's, the, to- the, the tale of Bridget, the saint's life of St. Bridget was the first, the first in Ireland. So the monk who is writing this, Cogistus, um, didn't have any other like sort of homegrown texts to base Mm. this off of. He was creating sort of his own Irish genre. Now that's Mm. not to say that there were not works in the continent that he would have absolutely been familiar with. Certainly he would have had access and and understood these things, but from an Irish perspective, he's really building it from the ground up, um, which is really, really interesting. And Mm. um I really recommend reading um, some of these texts because, you know, Bridget isn't exactly the saint that um, are how we how we, I guess, perceive saints now and, and what kind of behavior they would kind of get up to. And, I, and uh, I don't think she is what we were taught about in if you went to school in Ireland. I don't think. Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. You know, so Katie, a, a brewing badass. You know? Katie, Katie, what did you learn about uh, St. Bridget? So, uh, 1st of February, we would all in school, we would be told to bring in rushes, of which I have a bundle here that I prepared earlier. (laughs) For those watching on YouTube, Katie's about to demonstrate some things with what looks like just very long branches. Not branches, they're like leaves, right? They're they're rushes. I suppose maybe they're a form of bull. Some of them still have their bits Ah. on them. They're just like Mm. bulrushes. Little bulrushes. This is what they're made of. And uh, we would... Uh, go out and to, to our fields or within our 5k seeing as we're in lockdown in Ireland <laughs> you know and collect these and we would uh, bring them into school and on the 1st of February we would be taught how to weave a St. Bridget's Day cross uh-huh. ah wow. so I will show you now so you get two yeah two of these and you do one at uh you fold one around the other at 90 degrees so you have mm-hmm. what a flat like an upside down T like an upside down T, except one of mm-hmm. them is doubled over the other one. Yes. Okay. Okay. And then you get your next strand, your next mm-hmm. reed, uh-huh. and you fold it over, over the leg of the T mm-hmm. so that it becomes upright. This is, uh, this is on YouTube as well. So if you want to. <laughs> For those it. listening, I, I'd encourage you to, to watch this episode on YouTube just to 
you know, just to supplement your, your lack of Especially vision. if you're homeschooling kids and you want yeah. to get them out of your hair for a few hours, you tell them, go out, pick some grass and make a cross. Well, don't pick grass. It, While mommy and daddy listens to the beer ladies. Podcast. While mommy and daddy drink beer with the beer ladies. Exactly. <laughs> so then yes. I just got another one and you, you, you bend it in half and then one half goes in front, one half goes behind. And all you do is you keep working that. It is that easy. So oh. what you're going to end up with, though, is something that looks a little bit like a like a cross or even a ninja star. I sort of think of it as a little yeah, bit of a pinwheel. Yeah. So I've been working yes, on this yes. uh, very badly. My skills, obviously, my um, Catholic primary school sweatshop skills have uh, have worn <laughs> off. But I've been, I've been, yeah. Oh, it ends up. You can oh, see the, the the kind of the little pattern in the middle is mm. kind of very symbolic of the Saint Bridget's Day cross. Very so, so cool. And I'm going to finish this off and I'm going to give it to Lisa as her oh. first housewarming gift. Yes. Oh, that's nice. Yes. And for those seeing the giant mess behind me, this should all be gone since by the time this episode <laughs> arrives, we will have moved house and I'm sure we'll be completely unpacked. Everything will be put away. It'll be glorious. So, <laughs> yeah. And so, last words. <laughs> yeah. When we were in school um, and mm. the teacher would then talk about while we were all occupied and busy, and uh, so we would be told about how St. Bridget was this great healer and she used to heal all the wounded animals and the sick would come to her and oh. help them. Uh, we never heard that she was a brewer. Mm-hmm. We never heard that she was a badass. <laughs> uh, all we heard was, um, so I'm trying to remember, she, she was uh, really, really um, caring to the needy. And uh, God saw this and uh, said, Bridget, um, I'm going to give you your own place. Um, so oh. she put down her cloak on the ground, and where she put her cloak was where her convent was built. Ah, apparently. okay. And that's where she got her building or her monastery um, to to mind all the people in the community. So that's oh, what we her. were. That's what we were taught. Or that's no. what I was taught in in no. in West Clare. <laughs> I must tell you because my son was telling me about this cloak story. Okay, so he had learned he had learned a version of this already now being being here in Irish Catholic school for for a couple of years. He he told it to me, and then I went and just like googled the story because I didn't understand the way that he told yeah. it to me. But so so here's what at least Wikipedia says. What Wikipedia says was that she wanted to build a monastery. She went to the king. Uh, the King of Leinster, and he said, you know, basically no. Um, she prayed for his mind to be softened, and oh. then she um, she then said to him, how about wherever my cloak lays, you give me that land? And he said, go for it, you crazy bloody woman. And <laughs> she sent her three sisters to on each corner of the cloak, and they kept running in all directions, which is, I think, where the Bridges Cross shape kind of comes oh, from possibly yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes yeah. sense so i mean if you think about it it is kind of a square even though you'd probably see it as a cross when it's turned you know as, as a pinwheel cross but it's kind of a square so they kept running and the cloak kept expanding therefore whatever land the cloak touched was hers yeah. and apparently it was in this lovely fertile region with lots of trees and blueberries and, and a lake and all these things which is why on St. Bridget's Day on the 1st of February it's customary to eat jam oh hey. is it? Yeah, apparently it is okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I didn't know that but I thought the story was really um really endearing 
It is. It's a, it's cool. a lovely story, though. I, I, I like that she tricked the king. I think that's just yeah. awesome. <laughs> and, and, and she made his mind soften. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's the thing, isn't it, about all these sort of folk traditions is they pop in and out and some of them are never as old as, well, I, I won't say never, but often not as old as you might be led to believe they are as, as a child. Like you'll also see things here and there about sort of well dressing when you go out and sort of clean up the local holy well and, you know, decorate it and all sorts of that. But oftentimes that doesn't really predate kind of the 18th and even 19th century. And sometimes it's sort of a revival or it didn't even really happen necessarily, but it's been revived because it's just kind of fun and why not? So I, I think you, you always have that little bit at the back of your mind to be like, well, maybe this never really happened as a sort of long-standing tradition but it doesn't mean you can't enjoy it and you know excuse for our party when you're allowed to see other people again in the future yeah. so yeah absolutely the va- the value of these stories is far more than the truth i guess right. and that's well, yeah. yeah yeah and and i i kind of think it's a shame that you didn't really learn about how badass she is um because mm. i mean that's not her first sort of encounter oh. with a king mm. um so, so speaking of Bridget being a badass, um, she she's kind of like the proto Robin Hood, right? So oh. from from early days, she's stealing everything she can get her hands on, like absolutely everything in her father's house. She is stealing, hey. and she's giving it away to the poor. I think my favorite story is um, she steals butter to give or ham to give to a dog, a starving dog. And then she's able to miraculously recreate this, so that way um, her father doesn't notice it's missing. But um, as you can imagine, this penchant for the five finger discount didn't really do didn't really, you know, do much for her family. So her father decides to sell her off into slavery. And so he, he goes he goes to do this. And while he's trying to do this, he 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 hands Bridget his his extremely valuable sword. You know, this might be one of the most valuable possessions man owns, if not the most valuable possession this man owns. Um, and he left it with her. Right. So she does what, of course, we, we would all assume that she doesn't. She steals it and gives it away. Um, so the king, you know, so her father's like, this is why, king, seriously, <laughs> take her, take, take her. And the king's like, hold on, would you steal from me? And she's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I would steal everything. Yeah, I would steal everything that I could get my hands on and give it all to 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 God. And he was like, "Well, oh, see, she she's holy because she would steal from me, so that Ooh. means she's holy. So she she can go be a nun. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's fine that she can be a nun. And uh, well, I mean, this went over uh, really really poorly with a lot of like local nobles, and, and one of them is you know badgering her about you need to get married. What is this about a nun? You need to be married. Da da da. And you know. Well, no, no, I'm actually, I'm actually going to be a nun. No, you need to be married. Okay. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And, you know, he's telling her, you know, she's beautiful and all this other stuff. And so she takes her fingers and gouges out her own eye and hands it. As you do. As you do. (laughs) And he's basically like, you know, how, how, here's the beautiful eye for you. How pretty am I now? Um, (laughs) No one's going to ask you for a blind girl, I think is basically what she says. And she exploded her own eyeball. And then she decided he was just a little bit too cheeky. So then she went ahead and just exploded both of his eyeballs for his insolence. Okay. That's amazing. So, you know, it's a really, it's a shame that you don't hear these stories. And she was also performing miraculous abortions, which is probably why you don't hear some of this stuff. Because I'm sure that the Catholic Church probably doesn't want you to know about how she just makes babies go away. 
um, <laughs> with God. That God is helping her make the babies go away. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely a reason I didn't hear that. <laughs> might when I was be, growing up, you know, might be a reason yeah. for, for, <laughs> for that. Um, but I guess they should probably start talking about beer because I yes, how is she? How is she even related to beer? Yeah. Right. So, as far as I'm aware, she's the patron saint of brewing. Right? Not brewers, but brewing. The so process. I, I, I don't know about that. Oh, that's okay. that's modern stuff. So that's I don't know what she is in in the in the same now because I do not follow the church teachings now. Okay, that's something I should I should probably look up, but I don't I don't really me- read about that. Um, but I I do know that well she's she's associated with children and milk. That that's a thing that I do know. So but but so I'll get to ugh, Christina. Just spit it out. I'll get to a story about it awesome. because I've been talking around this and not to it. So she's founded this monastic community in Kildare, right? And Easter is fast approaching. And much like Jesus is supposedly multiplied bread and fish to feed the masses, Bridget, she turned one bag of malt into enough ale to supply 17 churches. So I'm going to kind of tell you about this story. So all these nuns are gathered around in this monastic community and they're, they're um, which is Kildare, which actually means Church of the Oak, um, if you're not familiar with Irish. So they found themselves in her presence, and Easter is fast approaching. And Bridget sort of decides at the last minute, she's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make ale for everyone around me. That's awesome. And the nuns are like, huh? oh, we only have this. How are we going to make this for that? And she's like, I got this. It's, it's okay. It's going to be completely fine. And so she says she's going to, you know, work with God and God is going to help her. So she, they only have at this point one vat, two tubs, and one bushel of malt. And they have to make all this ale for, you know, 17 churches. And I'm just going to read a quote from, from one of um, her, her lives. And it says this. Um, Low Sunday approached, quote, I do not think it fortunate now, said Bridget to her maidens, not to have ale on Low Sunday for the bishop who will preach and say mass. As soon as she said that, two maidens went to bring water. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. They had a large churn for the purpose. And Bridget was not aware of this. When they came back again, Bridget saw them there. Thanks be to God, said Bridget. God has given us ale for our bishop. And the nuns became frightened then. God help us, O maiden. Whatever foolish thing I said, I have not said anything evil, O nuns. The water which was brought inside, because you have blessed it, God did what you desired and immediately was changed into ale with the smell of wine from it. And better ale was never set to brew in the whole world. And and the one churn was sufficient for them and their guests and the bishop. That's all right for some. Hey. So, so, you know, we kind of, we see this. And then of course, after, after Easter is even fulfilled, the bishop wants more ale and she's like, what? Sorted more ale. Boom. Um, but yeah, so this idea of ale and we know that ale feasts were really common practice in, in early medieval Ireland and as particularly around Easter, actually we're talking about St. Patrick again, one of the lives of St. Patrick actually makes a similar association. One of his um, descendants actually had to, or had to, um, provide ale for for easter for the mass for the people in easter why um why would people have ale feasts at specific times and why would let's say the first of february i know it's supposed to be the beginning of spring like that's at least what i'd read um which was St. bridget's day sort of ale fest i guess in, in those days but St. bridget's day now and why easter specifically was that was that a christianity thing well they just had ale feasts like that was just oh. the thing that <laughs> so that was like Oh no, I'm I'm uh, I'm jumping ahead to Catholicism, so I'm gonna yeah. let you talk. Well, I, <laughs> I can I can I'm actually gonna scroll down in my book and I'm gonna pull up the parts where I talk about Elfies. But yes, Elfies are actually really common. Um, actually, in one of the sources that I worked with, one of the entitlements of one of the kings is actually that he is owed Elfies. And actually, another part of it is one of the kings in Ireland is known for their Elfies. He's actually listed as such and such of the Elfies. Um, Wait, that's a good, you know, that's a great doing title. It right. Yeah, I, so, I want to live in that kingdom. Yeah, yeah. So, so we know this, and and hospitality, and and all these things were really, really important. So, for example, um, uh, Laborna Cert, um, which is the Book of Rights, um, was is the thing that uh, lists all these rents and stipends, and for for some of them, um, one of the kings it has to give out like a hundred. Um, drinking horns. I mean, that, and this is like a hundred drinking horns, a hundred horses, a hundred swords. Like these, this is because it's included in that line. You can kind of tell how important drinking is. And these drinking horns are because they're associated with in the same group as horses, swords, very high status items. Um, there's a story that I talk about um, of, uh, of a guy who, who won't drink ale unless it's out of a drinking horn because quote, he hadn't drink, um, out of anything else since he was weaned from his mother. So he's only going to be drinking, 
He's only his, it's a hornet. He's not drinking anything. So this and is I like wonder- I only drink out of the like the branded glass, and if it's not the right glass. Um, but the drinking horns would they be like deer antlers or bull horns or? Yeah, actually, you can. Actually, if you look on, um, if you go to the National Museum of Ireland when it's open, and actually have a picture, and I will tweet this. They have some. I think they're later. They're much later than early medieval, but they have drinking horns there, um, and you can you can see them because the. I, I think I estimated that there's like over 130 references to entitlements of ale or of drinking horns in this book of rights. So like this is a really important part of their culture. Um, and actually, I think really interestingly, there's a there's a there's a reference to um, queens actually owing each other three drinking horns and, and an oh. exchange of ale between queens was part of this entitlement, which I find just absolutely fascinating yeah. because just don't yeah. see a lot of references to queens but in fact that they had to to exchange i feel like there's a little cottage industry that's waiting to 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 come to light where we could make you know replica drinking horns and there's there's oh also God. um there's there's maser cups which are actually also much later medieval but you see those coming popping up in all of these irish wills um deeding the, their their master cup maser cup to their um women deeding it to their daughters um and oh, men okay. deeding it to to their son it's quite wow. and it's also quite valuable um and then there's also um another kind of cup which is a mether cup which is like sort of the cup with like four handles um and again they have those oh. at the national museum of ireland so cups drinking vessels these are important um can be quite valuable um mm. very very valuable yeah, so um, quite analogous to things happening in the Viking world and, you know, in the really your whole North Atlantic, I guess, uh, to a certain extent. So. Yep, yep. There, there's a, this obsession with um, ale and feasting and hosting. Mm, yeah, the hosting. Um, yeah, yeah. The very important. Huge. Very, very important. Um, yeah, it's just it's really, really interesting. Sorry, I'm so, going through and trying to find something. <laughs> so were there, were there any more stories of Bridget and, and Beer specifically? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. cool. Okay, so yeah, there so were many have, stories. It wasn't yeah, just... Yeah, so, so it's mm. actually similar to Katie was talking about, like, her healing powers. Mm. And one of them, she turns water into ale, and it's not just ale, it's heathing ale, and it saves her foster mm. mother's life. Oh. Um, so there's this kind of idea that she's turning water into into ale to, to cure people. And then let me find it, because I think it's sort of worth reading in its entirety. Um, we have a, sort of an 11th century poem that's attributed to her. It's called St. Bridget's Ale Feast. And basically, uh, of course, this is written well after she's well long gone. Um, but yeah, and it's an old Irish. Um, but when she's asked what her view of heaven is, she says the following. I would like to have the men of heaven in my own house with vats of good cheer laid out before them. I would like to have a great lake of ale for Christ the King. I'd like to be watching the heavenly family, drinking it down for all eternity. So heaven yeah, is a lake, lake of, of beer. Lake of beer. That Let's do it. sounds amazing. I know. It sounds really excellent. How is there I not could, a lake of beer? Oh I just want to get like a lilo <laughs> yeah. and just hang out with a straw in my lilo. We're good. In the lake of ale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of those like brew dog hotels where you bath and beer. Oh and yes, I, I, like have beer jacuzzis and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's a business I, opportunity here for you know post COVID. You know, oh God, people are going to want weird hospitality. Let's do it. Do Do you think so? Do you think that people are going to be like forever off put from being that close or sharing fluids that other it's people might have shared? Question. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I was thinking about that earlier. I was like, 
am I going to be okay with things that I was normally okay with before anymore? Because when I watch it on TV now, there's even like a gut reaction. To I know, me. Yeah, like, oh, you're too close. Like, there's too oh. many people. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody posted a picture of Grafton Street on Reddit and I was like, oh my God, that looks horrible. Like pre-COVID Grafton Street. Did we yeah. ever do that? Yeah. Why? Yeah, it's so interesting. <laughs> I know. It's very, it's very weird. I don't know. I don't know. I can't imagine sh- sharing the public swimming pools or those sorts, you know, you know that kind of thing. Like, it, I suppose bleach kills everything, so does chlorine. So maybe I wouldn't be that worried, but, you know, we'll see. It's very, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of jarring, I guess, to mm. kind of figure out. Oh, yes, this, this was... Uh, yes, this was one that I wanted to to, to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. The Three Sorrowful Ones of an Alehouse. The Man Who Gives the Feast, The Man to Whom It Is Given, and The Man Who Drinks Without Being Satiated. And, like, I get why The Man Who Gives the Feast is sad, because it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big outlay. <laughs> yes. And I get why The Man Who Drinks Without Being Satiated is unhappy because that sucks yeah a bucket, bucket with a hole yeah but why is the dude who's getting the party mad right <laughs> oh my gosh well maybe there's some some something that he is duty bound to do that we don't know about if you're I think if he's just is, an introvert <laughs> it could be or maybe it's that the party never ends yeah and he has to maybe. talk to everybody it's probably because he has to talk to everybody oh Mm-hmm. It's like it's like when at a wedding when you have to like talk to all the people and it's like oh this is your cousin's third cousin's fourth removed grandfather. Yeah. Okay, nice to meet you. And you're like, oh hello, Maureen, how are you? I haven't seen you since I was a toddler, but you know, it's great. <laughs> How's the husband? Oh, he's dead. Is he sorry? Oh, exactly. <laughs> he's passed. Yeah. You know. No, but it's it's really interesting. Oh, and so so that's actually from um it's it's a text called the Triads of Ireland, which are all these like three things that the that they list together that are whatever. So um so for an example, another triad of, with L is the three unfortunate things for a man are a scant drink of water, thirst mm. in an alehouse, and a narrow seat upon a field. So thirst in an okay. alehouse. Does a narrow seat upon a field is that a metaphor? Yeah, I was wondering. That... I have no yeah. idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> But also, I want to draw attention to the fact that it says a scant drink of water, because if I see one more person tell, say that medieval people didn't drink water, I'm going to scream. Medieval <laughs> people drank water. Also, the medieval period was global and not just in Europe. Here, so, here. And, and, and also what happened in France or what we call now France, it's not the same as what happened in Ireland. So please stop making, saying things like medieval people didn't drink ale because like, wow, no. You know, I'm so, I'm sorry, but I'm still just interested in how the definition of ale changed from that that didn't use hops to that that uses a specific yeast. Yeah, so I think that that kind of lies in when we start getting when lager is possible, right? So prior to that, we didn't really have that. So we use the def, you know, the difference between ale and beer. But then when the definition changes, when we have something introduced, lager, cold fermented lager yeast. So then we 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 switch to ale versus lager instead of ale versus beer. Because because it's interesting because I still see or I still hear some people here now even talking about the distinction between ale and beer as if ale is like stouts and porters and beer is like lagers. 
And I'm like, but ale is a beer. They're all beers. They're in the umbrella of beer. They're just different yeast strains. So I'm I'm actually well confused. And instead of trying to be, um, I, I'm trying to uh, suppress my natural urge to be like, stop being an idiot, you know, here's the truth. But, but, but actually I need to educate myself because well, clearly there's something I've missed. Yeah. Well, I think it's more of the reverse. I think beer is under the umbrella of ale. Ale's first um, for most places and not beer. So beer comes from ale, which is the original sort of drink, not beer. Um, huh. So that's sort of the original one. And, that's you know, you told Tandy. I don't mean it that way. Um, but but we do know that there's like all these different we, there's all these different kinds of ales that they're making in Ireland. There's an entire poem that was written um, to the Scottish prince Cano MacGartnan, who was killed in 687 CE. I'm not really sure exactly when the poem was written off the top of my head, but it's basically a poem about different ales. Ooh. Um, the red ale fun. of this clan and and the, this ale of this one and. Um, Oh, there's another one. What is that? Oh, here's a, there's a reference to an ale feast. Um, and the, oh, the Saxon ale of bitterness, which might imply the use of hops or oh, yeah, really, yeah. or really strong bittering agents because. Yeah. What else would have been used instead of hops for bittering at that right. time? So there's, <laughs> we don't know. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of things it could be that yeah. can turn up in your modern gruets, which I'm air quoting. So, so like, yes. so um, I'm actually investigating this more because what I'm probably going to have to do is go through um, sort of like early medieval Irish or I- medieval Irish medicinals and see what kind of, what sort of mm. things that we can see a crossover with mm, and then kind yeah. of imply backwards. But this is really pure speculation. Mm. Nobody mm. knows. No mm. one's ever gonna know, um, unless we come up with some some time machine. Yeah, yeah, or or some source just pops up that's been in like private collection or in a bog mm. somewhere, which is possible because which we've had possible. that happen. Yeah, there's bog so water. Yeah, why not? It, it really could. Um, so we have an antiquarian O'Curry who postulated that buckbean um, might have been popular because it was found near some some forts, um, early Irish forts. So he, I've never heard of buckbean. So he Me said either. that it might be used in an early period to flavor beer. Okay. But, but we do know that when the Irish go to the continent, they complain about the ale being too bitter. Huh. Um, so maybe it was just sweeter anyway. So th- there is there is a suggestion that maybe they really didn't bitter it, um, that that just wasn't a thing that they did, and that this is mm-hmm. just in our head that this is what ale has to be, and this is what it has to be, and this is the right. and And it's yeah. possible that, that they didn't, or that there's – Again, multiple different types of ale. One that wasn't. Mm. One that was just like sweet wort fermented. One that mm. was. One that was maybe in between. One that did this. One that did that. I mean, I really don't want to pigeon. I think it's sort of, frankly, ridiculous to assume that there was only one kind of ale. Yeah, and um, I reckon they, they totally. must have added exa- whatever was growing around them and exactly. like yeah. seaweed. I mean, Ireland is such a small island. I'm sure seaweed or heather. You see heather Nittles, everywhere. You know. Yeah. Bog myrtle or sweet gale is yeah. probably yeah. possible. Um, we, we know that that was popular. So I would probably venture that that was used in, in some what. Um, and we do know from like later medieval sources, and I don't want to get into this too much because this is beyond our, our timeline, that they mm-hmm. had 
sort of complicated grain bills. I mean, they're using four different types of grain to brew beer, which, I mean, when you think of medieval people, you're probably thinking, oh, you know, it's probably, you know, the simple thing, but four different kinds of grain to, to make an ale in a monastic community. So these aren't necessarily people making really simple ales. They, they might have been quite complex, lots of things going on. Yeah, and that's that on the size of your monastic community too. Some of these are mm. huge and have you know, you know enormous numbers of um, you know lay staff effectively doing the work for them. And and especially when you're talking, and it's less my area of expertise, but when you're talking, you know, medieval Ireland, where you kind of have these monastic communities instead of cities, really. So this is where this is where everyone's gone who's gone somewhere. So what yeah. are they making? And it's they're, they're probably all going to have their own you know, their own local flavor. Yeah, because I mean, early medieval Ireland was probably underpopulated and it didn't have cities. Like the Irish, it just wasn't really a thing that they did. That just wasn't their culture. Um, I mean, certainly there, there's houses of like the chief and, and or, you know, the king that's going to have more people and more people around it. But for the most part, like, like Lisa said, if there's a community, it's just really about around a monastic community. And, and that being said, that these monastic communities are not like really peaceful people. I mean, monastic communities went to war with each other so oh, this, yeah. I- this idea that the vikings came in and like just attacked these peaceful monasteries <laughs> is just utter rubbish like these these monastic communities went to war with each other they sacked each other i mean we're not we're not we're not talking about you know contemplating life in in silent meditation all the time we're talking about oh i don't i don't like what talus said i don't like him let's go get him yeah. um kind of a thing um and you know some kings were also leaders of monastic communities these are powerful institutions with powerful leading men and also powerful women um bridget is listed as quite powerful so powerful that she was mistakenly ordained a bishop like <laughs> i hate is, when that happens yeah like there's <laughs> there's there's no lie to the to the way that the her she exists in the lives that she is for the most part, listed as powerful. Now, there are some that that later ones that possibly, you know, list her as being submissive and submissive to her king and submissive to her God. And this might be, you know, in, uh, telling us a little bit about the community in which that text was written. But the earlier texts kind of have her being like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go do this. And here's my eyeball and, you know, things like that. <laughs> so, you know, that that changes in the lives, which also might tell us a little bit about who's writing it and why they're writing it and maybe a change in the society in which it was created. It's all very Mm. interesting to me. (laughs) Absolutely. And some of these monastic women are living their best lives. Like they're like, I'm not going to die of childbirth. I'm just going to hang out with all my other rich lady friends and we're going to, we're going to do it up. You know, they're not all doing sort of, you know, chastity poverty that, you know, some of them are just like, you know, they're, they're living it up. They're having a great time in their fancy monastery and uh, getting the best food and best beer. And honestly, it sounds grand. A hundred percent. percent. If I went back and if I had to go, if I was forced back into time, because honestly, I know people are like, oh, I love to go back in time. No, you do not. No. You do not want to go back in time. No, no. we live in the best time well, not, period. Not as a woman. Not as a woman. Exactly. No. You don't really want to go back as a guy either. I mean, like, you know, killed in no, battle. I um and all the diseases no and the smell yeah i think the hygiene hygiene. yeah no you don't want to go back in time but if i was forced into a time machine and sent back in time i would have been a nun in 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 an early medieval one not one of those mm -mm, i don't want to be an anchoress i don't want to be anything where i'm locked up or walled into something i want to be a wealthy nun 
in a wealthy monastic community because i mean seriously some of them were really living their best lives yeah they um, get the best think, books they really get all the weird. best food yeah it's i think happening. it's weird for nuns to be wealthy as I've opposed never- to like just above the poverty line which is how i've always known them like i've always known nuns to be like really modest really frugal you know you, you know shying away from all of these like monetary things in life and whatnot so it's like it blows my mind actually to know that nuns were were of the wealthy elite in a sense not yeah. always i mean not always. No, not always sure i think the reformation kind of put well well that right well uh, before that the the men in charge put a kind of a halt to that um it really really depends on and this is not my area of expertise but i did teach a class at trinity on um religion death and culture so i am somewhat familiar with this um but it really depends on what monastic community are they Franciscans? Are they Dominicans? Like, what are we, what kind of, because, you know, with monks and nuns, because some of them were really poor. Like that was, and even in Ireland, you know, some of them, some of um, like St. Columbanus talks about how his monks should not enjoy eating and drinking and this is, they should not eat or drink for pleasure. This is not a thing that they should be doing. And then there's actually a war, not a war, but like a war of words, if we'll go between um two leaders of a, a certain reforming sect in in ireland from one from tella and one from finglas about the place of ale within their communities oh. and the you know the one monk was like no drinking no drinking at all drinking is too fun you're not supposed to be having fun <laughs> and the and you know the other monk basically quipped you know my, my monks will get into heaven just the same mm. yeah um, but all like- monk, but both monks allowed their followers to drink while they were on pilgrimage so that was okay to have ale when they were on pilgrimage but just not when they were home um because pilgrimages were actually quite much more prevalent than people kind of think they do they kind of feel like oh medieval people must have just stayed where they were and it's really not necessarily yeah, they're the packet holidaying a lot of times like they're going off you know some are shorter but some of them are going all over the place so where, yeah. would, where would they have gone on a on a medieval pil- pilgrimage to holy sites to holy sites, to whatever holy sites were closest to them, largely. I mean, they might go far if they're wealthy to Rome or not even wealthy, you know, if they have the time or, the, you know, the inclination to, to go further places. But, you know, Canterbury to Rome um, would have been a popular one um, for, for people in England and, and, and in Ireland, maybe perhaps to Armagh, um, Kildare, possibly, if you're, if you're sort of close to that. Just the closest sort of monastic community it was probably the most reachable, but definitely much further. Um Oh, yes. And I really encourage everyone to sort of Google um, pilgrimage um, pins and medallions and things that people wore on pilgrimage because they're quite wonderful and hilarious. Um, so, <laughs> so is there anything um, that we should wrap up with now about St. Bridget besides the fact that, the you know, February 1st is coming up and um, whether, whether you like it or not, I'm going to be eating blueberry jam because apparently that's the thing. Ooh, Katie's got oh, her uh, St. Bridget's cross coming along. So I so have Katie, been weaving away here. If anyone is watching on YouTube, you'll have seen, seen stuff mm-hmm. fluttering in front of my face. But yeah, my class is coming along nicely there. So I'll so, add another so Katie, few layers. Yeah. Will you do us a favor though when you finish it? Will you post a, a picture on Twitter and Instagram? Yes. I'm very yeah. bad at Twitter and Instagram. I'm so sorry. Uh, you'll be okay. We'll uh, remind you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Send it to us. The Beer Ladies podcast can always uh, can always tweet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 After, after, after this episode drops, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, Christina, is there anything that you want to sort of finally say about St. Bridget? Yeah, I guess I basically want to just leave with, even if she wasn't real, um, 
her the importance of her within the context of ale and the history of ale in Ireland is really really important and I don't think that we can have any conversation about ale and brewing in Ireland without a conversation about St. Bridget and I think that um, her brewing whether in in the stories about her brewing sort of demonstrates that this was probably something that happened within the monastic community that the monk wrote about um, that was happening in Kildare around him when he was when he was at the monastery and so he was explaining and talking about things that he saw and so this tells us that nuns were brewing in early medieval Ireland yeah go medieval Irish nuns is what I say badass woman yeah Katie anything from you guys that you want to add I have a sort of quick but but peculiar personal reflection on on bridget which is that uh there was it, it's now sadly gone uh, a wonderful old school craft bar craft beer bar but old school irish boozer in philadelphia called bridget's it was fantastic it's where i did all of my bjcp classes and it was a wonderful place but I, i've always had a sort of um i would say soft spot for bridget real or imaginary because of that place. So I, I like to see that that tradition of her being associated with brewing and good beer lived mm. on up until quite recently. But, you know, it'll pop back up. There'll be another bar named after her. And it was it was just wonderful. So hopefully they will revive it at some point. That's awesome. Katie, any last words from you, friend? Any last words? My last words are I'm going to uh, send this on to all my primary school teacher friends. <laughs> and I think all of you should. And I hope that they um, update their curriculum slightly uh, <laughs> just to show how empowering, how empowered she was. And I think that yeah. she is an amazing role model for for people. Yeah. Yes. Actually, and actually, actually, and girls. Absolutely. I guess children steal shit. <laughs> but it's still but as long as long as you're giving it away you know as long as it's got like noble intentions <laughs> i know my 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 children would always steal my car keys and like push them down the toilet and i'm like what's with that you know it doesn't sound super noble to me katie no there were there were three there were three there were three <laughs> oh, i love it uh, and lord knows all the teachers can use a drink they're trying to teach from home it's oh my gosh oh, yeah. God, yes. so Yes. Yeah, oh, toast, toast to uh, toast to some Bridget's guys. Mm. Sure. I'll I'll take a cilantro for that. Cilantro. Cilantro. All right, everybody. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our website, which is currently under a bit of construction. Um, Beer Ladies Podcast. That's what you need to do. And um, hit us up. Tell us tell us your favorite stories about some Bridget once you've uh, listened to this. And um, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.